Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into the May scavenger hunt preview in today's episode. What's this? What's this? It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. What is this? A whole new world. What is this? All right. Just like last month, uh, listener Moran has been so gracious in sending me uh, predictions of what he thinks I'm going to rate these films. But he has gone above and beyond this month, uh, not just previewing, uh, predicting the star rating I would give it out of five on Letterboxd, but also the the, the absolute score out of a hundred he thinks that I will give the film on my spreadsheet, uh, accompanied by the a brief uh, uh, description as to why he uh, in, uh, chose such a rating. Um, so uh, I'll kind of go through those and use those to uh, drive my predict my my own personal predictions for for each of these films. But uh, let's get to it. Let's uh, go into so so today this month's scavenger hunt number twenty six for May twenty seventeen uh, is being provided by uh, Letterboxed member Explodera. Uh, Explodera to look at some of their uh, is a Swedish member of or at least living in Sweden uh, is a member of Letterboxd Uh, their favorite films listed are Metropolis Spotlight The Grapes of Wrath and Kess Kess as you know one of the scavenger hunt films from a couple of months ago Uh, and, and these are the best films that he has seen this month uh, so yeah he's uh, got over 2,000 films logged on the website uh, he's over a hundred films this year and cool let's uh, so he has a brief synopsis here or a brief brief message here uh, hi everyone it feels weird to think back and realize that this is the 26th edition of the scavenger hunt but that is indeed the true true. The, the truth, and I'm pretty sure it'll not be the last either. Originally, I was set to host the 28th edition in July, but uh, my urge to plan things ahead led me to start creating my host list way in advance. So, when we were left without a host for May, I decided to jump in, and this is now the 26th scavenger hunt. I hope you'll enjoy it. For this month, there's no specific theme other than some musical flavor added at times, but I've tried to use my best poetic abilities to conjure 30 challenges that will hopefully prove to be a good balance of challenging and fun. But feel no pressure to make it all in time. If for some reason you have no idea what a scavenger hunt is or just curious about the rules, the granddaddy, Wooderson, will have them covered for you in the master list, and thus I won't list them here. But remember to have fun. And uh, so, yeah, we, we ended up without anybody... To, or the original plant person hosting May's hunt did not uh, show up, and so Explodera jumped up two months to put his here. Uh, so there are a couple of tasks that refer to July, and that's why that is the case. Each of his tasks is accompanied by a brief uh, limerick, uh, a rhyming couplet, uh, if you were, 
that <clears throat> gives you a general idea of what the task actually is, but then he follows it up with what the act, like a more of a layman's term version of the task. So let's uh, let's jump into this, shall we? Task number one. You've seen them play guitar and maybe dance, but how will they perform on screen when they get a chance? Watch a film featuring your favorite music artist, or if he or she hasn't been in anything, try and find another musician you like who has starred in a film. As some help, I've shame I'm shamelessly plugging my own list of famous musicians in films. Um, I just decided to to kind of ignore the first half of that task, to be honest, and. I simply tried to find a film that had a, a famous musician in it that I hadn't seen, uh, which wasn't terribly difficult. Uh, you know, I did go to his list. I went through it to see what kind of films I could use and and um, what would... Uh, let's see here. I'm trying to figure out what the artist was really quickly. Um, the artist, assuming I did, assuming I got this right, I'm pretty sure that I did. Let me see. So the film, so, uh, hmm. So the film that I listed here is Robin Hood from 2010. Uh, that's the Ridley Scott film. Ah, yes, here it is. Okay, let me see here. And the musical artist, the famous musical artist in Robin Hood is... Oh, my goodness. The list order. Great start. Great start we are. Here we go, here we go, here we go. All right, is Alan Doyle, who is who actually is a singer that I, I'm quite fond of. Uh, he is the singer and guitarist from Great Big C. Uh, if you haven't listened to Great Big C, uh, they are um, they're kind of a uh, I don't know how best best to describe them. Uh, I discovered them through Pandora, uh, listening to comedy music, but they're more of like a folk rock band um, that, you know, mostly plays sea shanties, uh, you know, I and, and I, they have a lot of just really funny and, and curiously interesting songs, and I, I, so Alan Doyle is a, is a character in the film he plays. Alan Adele, <laughs> and uh, hence picking Robin Hood. So, um, let's see here. So, looking at the prediction for this film, uh, here Moran's uh, reasoning. Uh, he he's predicting a two out of five, or specifically a forty-three out of hundred. And he says, I think I was just in the right mood when I saw this. Uh, his rating was a little higher at 51 because my rating should be lower. There is just a dullness and mediocrity to the whole thing. Probably hated by people who actually love Robin Hood, but 
Since I'm bored with the story in general, it's a slight change of pace. Uh, and I think that's true. You know, I mean, I, I'm not... I, the last Robin Hood film I've seen has been a while ago. And so... And I, I've kind of had this movie on my radar a little bit for for its cast recently and for its director, Ridley Scott. Uh, you know, starring Russell Crowe, Kate Blanchett, Max von Sydow, William Hurt, Mark Strong, Oscar Isaac, Danny Huston, Eileen Atkins, Matthew McFadden, Kevin Durand, Leia Seydoux, uh, among others. You know, this is a pretty star-studded cast. Uh, it's also a pretty long movie, over two hours. And it is a pretty poorly rated film. Uh, it has a 2.7 on Letterboxd. Uh, but it follows when soldier Robin, who happens upon the dying Robert of Loxley, he promises to return the man's sword to his family in Nottingham. There, he assumes Robert's identity, romances his widow Marion, and draws the ire of the town sheriff and King John's henchman, Godfrey. So it's a little bit more of a mature, older version of Robin Hood than uh, we're generally used to. And it twists some of the uh elements to make it seems to be intending to make it a little more dramatic a little more uh sort of interesting i guess for people who haven't really who who are familiar with the original story and and, you know there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself but i mean it seems like they scott really scott really missed the mark with this one and You know, this is from a period of time where he really wasn't churning out anything great. Uh, You know, because, like, this is about the time when he put out The Counselor, which came out in 2013, which also was not very good. 2014's Exodus, Gods and Kings was not very good. Um, You know, Prometheus came out in 2012, didn't do very well. And so, you know, he, you know, he was in a stretch of, of... misses until he finally came across the martian which which did very well for him Uh, so hopefully i mean best case scenario is i like the film uh, but all indicators seem to be pointing to that not being the case so i'd say that a a negative score is is a fair assessment of this film so that's number one Robin Hood. Task number two. You hopefully like your mom and dad, but to be raised by this person, wouldn't that be pretty rad? July 24th is Parents' Day in the United States. Watch a film with an actor or character that you think would be fun to have as a parent. Uh, I, I, you know, I really wasn't sure how to go about picking this one. I didn't want to have to dive too deep into a film's synopsis to determine whether or not I wanted to watch it. You know, I don't, I wanted to go in as blind as possible. And then I kind of, it all kind of clicked in a moment as I realized there's a trilogy of films that I'm partway through watching. I've seen the first film of the three and the main character whose name is Kaji is just a, a down to earth, incredibly human and very much, respectful man who who is defying the odds in the circumstances he's living uh and he and that is from the first film of the series which is uh a human condition one 
no greater love. And so I decided to go with the second film, which is The Human Condition 2, Road to Eternity. It's from 1959, directed by Masaki Kobayashi, uh, who directs all three, uh, starring Tatsuya Nakadai, Michio Aratama, Kokinji Katsura, Jun Tatara, uh, among others. Um, uh, in And so just kind of a little bit of uh, premise building here. If you haven't seen any of these, the first film uh, begins a Japanese epic trilogy that was made between 1959 and 1961, which follows the life of Kaji, who is a Japanese pacifist and socialist, as he tries to survive in the fascist and oppressive world of World War II era Japan. Uh, this fir- the first film opens with Kaji marrying his sweetheart Michiko, despite his misgivings about the future. Uh, so I've already seen that. I watched that last month. And now part two uh, it follows Kaji having lost his exemption from military service by protecting Chinese prisoners from unjust punishment has now been conscripted into the Japanese Kwangtung army. Despite his anti-militarism, Kaji excels in his training and tries to implement his ideals in his dealings with other soldiers in the face of the prevailing brutality. The film ends with the Soviet army's victorious onslaught. Well, spoilers, I guess. Uh, But there's a part three, so... Yeah, so these are just wide-sweeping films that follow one one guy, Tatsuya Nakadai's Kaji, which is... He's brilliant in the films, for sure. And, you know, I just, I, I love the, the sort of the, the way that these films are presented. I love how, you know, uh, Kobayashi's direction and, and just the way that he presents everything. I, I vastly enjoyed part one. So I'm hopeful that part two will be just as uh, impactful. Um, Moran has to say, uh, you know, he predicts a 4 out of 5, which is what I gave part 1. He predicts an 82 out of 100. I believe I gave the first film uh, an 80... Uh, an 86. So, you know, he got he went down a little bit on this one. He says, not much to say. You like the first one, and they have the same letterboxed user ranking, which is a 4.3. Incredibly high. So I'm going safe and guessing you'll like the second part about as equally as the first. You know, I, I would say that's fair. Uh, and I would say that heading into the month, this is probably the front runner uh, for best film of the month. Uh, just based on history, I guess. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I, you know, I, I think I, I'm, I mentioned in my review of the first part that I was trying to space these three, this trilogy out enough to the point where by the time I watch the third part, I will be able to type with two hands. Uh, you know, I'm still wearing the splint right now uh, because I think that by the time I finish this trilogy, I'm going to have a lot I want to say about it and, and comment on. And I would prefer to type out a very long review with two hands as opposed to one for convenience sake. So... That's The Human Condition 2, Road to Eternity, task number two. Task number three. You probably think this makes me seem like a nationalistic guy, but for as much as I don't want to be, my love for the films of this country is something I can't deny. Watch a previously unseen film from Sweden. 
yeah so i just went to the sweden swedish based films generally that's going to be something from ingmar bergman which in this case it is this is an ingmar bergman film from 1972 called cries and whispers starring harriet anderson ingrid thulin kari silwan liv ullman and erland josephson with a 4.1 average score on letterboxd the film uh is about uh, when a woman dying of cancer in turn-of-the-century Sweden is visited by her two sisters, long-repressed feelings between the siblings rise to that sur- rise to the surface. Uh, yeah, so this is uh, the next film from Ingmar Bergman that I'll watch. Uh, last month, uh, part of the sca- uh, April scavenge hunt was The Seventh Seal, which performed incredibly well in my eyes. So I'm hopeful that I will get a good have a good experience with Cries and Whispers, but, you know, Ingmar Bergman sometimes doesn't click completely with me, so that remains to be seen. Uh, Miran says, uh, predicts that I will give it a 3 out of 5, or a 64 out of 100, uh, a little bit lower than his score of a 70. He says, this is tricky. Uh, It's much more colorful, so red, and bluntly emotional compared to a lot of Bergman's other films. Uh, it's closer to Persona and Virgin Spring than to Winter Light, and I personally like Persona and Virgin Spring far more than Winter Light, but due to the fact that it's on the lower half of the ones I like, I'm not going to go out on a limb. So he's being a little conservative with this uh, this prediction, uh, which is understandable. Uh, you know, again, you know, I have a... Bergman doesn't isn't perfect in my eyes, uh, you know, despite how great I thought The Seventh Seal was. Uh, and how high this film is average rating is on uh, Letterboxd. But uh, I'm very intrigued. You know, I think, you know, Persona being a very female-centric film, Cries and Whispers also being a very female-centric film, I'm, I'm hopeful. I think I'm a little more optimistic on this film than Moran is. And I think as we go forward, we'll find that I'm a little more optimistic on the month as a whole than he is as well. So I'm looking forward to this, Uh, you know, adding more Bergman films to the spreadsheet is always going to be a good thing. Uh, Whether or not I I enjoy the film, I'm sure there will be plenty of high quality craft to appreciate at the very least. So that's Cries and Whispers, number three. Moving on, number four, task number four. You may feel listening to it may cause your ears to bleed. But if it's on film, maybe you will succeed? Watch a film, documentary, or fictional about a musical genre of artist that you don't like, understand, or simply never been a fan of. And so, for me, the genre in question, or or type of music in question, is country. It's not that I don't like country at all, but it is definitely, uh, in my eyes far less enjoyable than practically every other genre you know it's bottom of the barrel you know i think the only genres i like less than country are opera uh i think and that's it just just opera as far as i'm aware so i went through looking for country films to uh navigate this came across a Little Beauty from 1975, directed by one Robert Altman, and that is Nashville. 
This movie tells the intersecting stories of various people connected to the music business in Nashville. Barbara Jean is the reigning queen of Nashville, but is near collapse. Linnea and Delbert Reese have a shaky marriage and two deaf children. Opal is a British journalist touring the area. These and other stories come together in a dramatic climax. Starring David Arkin, Barbara Baxley, Ned Beatty, Karen Black, Roni Blakely, Timothy Brown, Keith Carradine, Geraldine Chaplin, Shelley Duvall, Henry Gibson, Jeff Goldblum, among others like Lily Tomlin, just going down the list here, uh, among others, among others, has an average rating of 4.2 on Letterboxd, so very highly rated, uh, big ensemble piece, it's almost three hours long, and uh, it's just kind of a, a big, not quite an anthology film, but just a, a some of its parts kind of a deal, which implying to me that it's kind of a ton of different storylines that all intersect at the end uh, maybe or maybe not that's how it will be we'll see uh moran predicting a three and a half out of five or a 75 out of 100 uh significantly lower than his personal rating of a 96 so he is over the moon about this film uh, it seems he says you gave shortcuts and the player around the mid to high 70s uh, which the Shortcuts and The Player are two other films with huge casts as well, uh, and also directed by Robert Altman. Uh, this is an even bigger, looser scope and environment than Shortcuts. Overall, not as mean as some parts of Shortcuts, but there is still meanness here. So he's basing this prediction off of my, my history with Robert Altman, which is probably a good place to start. Uh, you know, Shortcuts, I liked... And, and had a good time with. But the other films of Altman's that I've seen, uh, The Long Goodbye, The Player, Gosford Park, uh, to the most part, I, I've given positive ratings for, but I just don't really connect with them as much. So, uh, Nashville is a musical, which is generally a big plus in my, my rating column. I, I'm very fond of musicals in general. It is a country musical, though, and... Country music really has to hit a, hit the right spot with me to to be enjoyable. Whether or not this will hit that mark remains to be seen. But being such a widely appreciated and enjoyed film, I figure it's got to have got to be somewhat enjoyable. So, some prediction predicting in the seventies, I think that's fair. Uh, I think there's definitely wiggle room to go above and below that. Uh, but I mean, I think that mostly is just going to depend on the music, uh, and uh, that's I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm I'm betting. I guess it's probably a jukebox musical as opposed to original songs. Uh, that seems like it would be how this would be done, and uh, if that's the case, I think they're. It's there's less likelihood that I'll give this a an uh, and a that I'll go up higher with this score the score for this one. I, I tend to prefer original music in my musicals, but we will see. Uh, so that's Nashville, number four. Number five. You like people looking for fame and glory. Maybe you should watch such a story. July 4th, 1907 is the birthday of Cal Fligari, the found I probably pronounced that poorly, the founder of Sweden's most acclaimed acting school. 
in honor of his 110th birthday, watch a film about a person struggling to make it in showbiz. A lot of films about people trying to make it in showbiz, but I found a film from an actor and director who I think I'm woefully underexposed to, uh, directed by Charlie Chaplin from 1952, uh, is the film Limelight. A fading music hall comedian tries to help a despondent ballet dancer learn to walk and to again feel confident about life, starring Charlie Chaplin, Claire Bloom, Nigel Bruce, Buster Keaton, Sidney Chaplin, Norman Lloyd, Andre Eglevsky, among others. So this is a Charlie Chaplin film. Uh, and as I said, I, I don't haven't seen a many Charlie Chaplin films, uh, only two, City Lights and The Great Dictator. Uh, and this is a post-silent film era Charles Chaplin film. So I don't know if that's going to be different. Uh, I you know I've never. It's going to be interesting. And uh, it's got a very high rating on, on Letterboxd with a four. So it's quite favorable. Uh, but Moran's prediction, uh, he has not seen this film, but he's predicting a two and a half out of five uh, or a 53 out of 100. Um, he says, I'm going to just play some of my own insecurities onto you here. The reason I've been putting off watching it is because I fear it will be a stodgy, off-puttingly old-fashioned film for the 50s. I might have a completely wrong impression about the film, though. So, uh, he is seeing this, he's looking at this film and thinking that it's dated, probably didn't age that well. Perhaps. Uh, you know, I, the poster and, 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 and some of the reviews kind of predict kind of kind of send me down that same sort of avenue of thinking uh, but again here's another instance where I think it uh, I, I'm a little more optimistic about the film than he is uh, you know Charles Chaplin however good or bad the film is going to be he is a fantastic actor particularly in in roles that are very physical now this doesn't sound like a very physical role for him so I'm not sure how much he can do otherwise, but I guess he's probably more of a physical comedian than a than a um, wordsmith comedian, I would guess. I don't know. We will find out. So I'm hopeful. You know, I do like Charlie Chaplin, and uh, I think that there's there's definitely going to be something good to gain from this film, at the very least, even if I don't absolutely fall in love with it. So... That's Limelight, number five. Task number six. You may feel it's been done to death after all these years, but this is really one of the pioneers. Watch a film that was the first with something. For example, the first stop-motion feature, the first Technicolor film, the first film winning an Academy Award in a specific category, the first film you saw in theaters, etc., etc., etc. For some help, here's a list with pioneers in cinema. Uh thinking about this right now i probably should have found a film that was the first winner of an academy award but i didn't do that <laughs> i i used the list provided by explodera and went with the first film released in cinemascope uh, it is a film that was nominated for Oscar an academy award so i hit that category anyway uh, this is a 1953 film directed by henry coster and that is the film The Robe. 
Marcellus is a tribune in the time of Christ. He is in charge of the group that is assigned to crucify Jesus. Drunk, he wins Jesus' homespun robe after the crucifixion. He is then tormented by nightmares and delusions after the event. Hoping to find a way to live with what he has done, and still not believing in Jesus, he returns to Palestine to try and learn what he can of the man he killed. Starring Richard Burton, Gene Simmons, Victor Mature, Jay Robinson, Richard Boone, Leon Askin, Michael Rennie, and Dean Jagger, among others. Uh, this film has a 3.0 on Letterboxd, so pretty low. Uh, I really like Gene Simmons, though, and Richard Burton, uh, so so they excite me when it comes to this film. But uh, Han's prediction is a 2.5 out of 5, or 50 out of 100, uh, considerably higher than his own rating of a 34. Uh, he says, you seem to like Ben-Hur and the Ten Commandments more than I do, hence why I'm giving you a higher score than I gave it. Uh, similar but much less interesting story, and on a smaller scale, and not as technically impressive. So, yeah, I, I love Ben Hur. I think Ben Hur is a fantastic sort of sort of sword and sandals epic. Uh, the Ten Commandments is pretty good, not quite to this extent that Ben Hur is. Uh, you know, it doesn't really have the chariot scene, which you know I think I watched Ben Hur for the first time a year or two ago, and that chariot scene just floored me. Uh, doubt, doubtful that the robe has something like that, uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, mm, you know, it's a little over two hours long, and the premise is compelling, but over two hours long, it depends, I, I think that must be because they have to, like, go back and, and set the stage and, and show... You know, they probably show the crucifixion of Christ and, and that entire sequence as well, uh, which I think is probably going to detract from the overall mo uh, momentum of the story. Uh, so I'm it kind of sounds like there's going to be a lot of like inner monologue from Richard Burton's Marcellus. Uh, but hopefully Gene Simmons is in this film a lot. You know, she is always enjoyable. Uh, so... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm a little more optimistic. I'm thinking more in the three-star range than the two-and-a-half-star range. Uh, but definitely plenty of plenty of possibilities here. Could even could even be lower. Could even be lower. We'll see. Uh, yeah, so that's number six, The Robe, the first film released in CinemaScope. Task number seven. You know he's the homeboy of the Hellfire, but maybe in films... He has much to desire. Watch a film featuring the devil. And if you need any help, I have another, another shameless plug for you. So he has another list of films featuring the devil as a character. Uh, this one, fairly easy. You found a pretty popular, prominent film with the, uh, with the devil in it. This is a 1988 film directed by Martin Scorsese, which is The Last Temptation of Christ. Jesus, Willem Dafoe, a humble Judean carpenter beginning to see that he is the son of God, is drawn into revolutionary action against the Roman occupiers by Judas, played by Harvey Keitel, despite his protestations that love, not violence, is the path to salvation. The burden of being the savior of mankind torments Jesus throughout his life, leading him to doubt. 
As he is put to death on the cross, he is tempted by visions of an ordinary life married to Mary Magdalene, played by Barbara Hershey. So, starring Willem Dafoe, Harvey Keitel, Barbie Hershey, along with David Bowie, Harry Dean Stanton, Verna Bloom, Paul Greco, uh, among others. This is another uh, faith-based film. So, uh, I might watch this before I watch The Robe, considering this kind of takes place... Uh, right to right up before the events of the robe would take place. I think that would be a pretty solid double feature, if I do say so myself. Uh, but yeah, it's a Scorsese film, so you know, I, I definitely have high hopes for it. Uh, Moran not as optimistic, so he's predicting a three out of five or a sixty-six out of a hundred, which is lower than his own rating of eighty-three. So he he's quite fond of it. He says, I think there's a power to this story, but I can't predict if you will be susceptible to it. I'm not religious, but I can have a sweet spot for tales of sacrifice. I feel like some of the performances will come off a little silly due to the actors involved. Uh, That may be. uh, Willem Dafoe, Harvey Keitel don't exactly scream uh, Jesus and Judas to me. Uh, They, you know, I don't expect them to be putting on uh, accents they might but i do trust scorsese's direction uh you know silence which came out last year i'm not a huge fan of but i respect the accomplishments it was able to achieve so i'm i'm cautiously optimistic i would say you know like moran i'm not not religious myself but i i still you know there are plenty of religion-based films that I have enjoyed and even loved in the past, so that's not necessarily going to make this impossible to connect with. Uh, and I think I think he he kind of hits the nail on the head though, in that the performances are really going to be the driving force as to whether or not I enjoy this film. So that's the Last Temptation of Christ, number seven. Task number eight. You found something interesting, so now maybe watch others participating. Watch a film centering around a new hobby of yours, something you've been a fan of for not much more than a year or so. Uh, so, tough to find a, a hobby like that off off hand, but I, I kind of went with Broadway musicals. Uh, I Not that I've never really been into them before but i really got heavily into them toward the end of last year as far as the music that i was listening to and just started downloading broadway soundtracks left and right so that was the criteria i used to find this film and i wasn't sure what to if i wanted a film about broadway or if i wanted a film that was adapted adapted from a broadway musical or whatever or you know which side of that i wanted to go on so i picked the 1967 film, which is both, <laughs> directed by Mel Brooks, it's The Producers. Broadway producer Max Bialystok and his accountant Leo Bloom plan to make money by charming little old ladies to invest in a production many times over what it will actually cost, and then put on a surefire flop so nobody will ask for their money back. And what can be a more certain flop than a tasteless musical celebrating Hitler? Starring Gene Wilder, Zero Mostel, Dick Sean, Kenneth Mars, Lee Meredith, Estelle Winwood, among others. 
this is the first version of the producers. I have seen the the Nathan Lane version of the producers, and it's it's okay. It's good. Uh, I didn't love it. Uh, and I I've listened to the Broadway soundtrack of the producers, and I'm fine with it. It doesn't really stick out to me too much, but that is based on the Nathan Lane. Uh, Nathan Lane is one of the main characters in it. So I'm thinking that I will like this more because of Gene Wilder primarily, but also I think that it probably worked much better in the 60s than it did in the 2000s. Uh, I think, which is when the the remake came out. Uh, I think. We'll see. Uh, So, Moran says, he's predicting a 4 out of 5 for me, an 80 out of 100, so very high on this one. About the same as his rating of 79. He says, you seem to like Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles. This is usually considered on the same level of quality and has the same troop of players. You gave the sequel uh, a 58. Uh, since I haven't seen it, I can't compare, but I think you'll enjoy this version. So, yeah, very similar to what I was saying. Uh, the sequel is fine, uh, but I think that the original will sequel remake. Uh, I think the original will be vastly superior. Um, and uh, you know, I definitely need more Gene Wilder in in my life and. That is probably the biggest draw for me in this one. Uh, you know, it's been a while since I've seen Gene Wilder in a film. I think the last film of his I saw was uh, Bonnie and Clyde, which was about a year ago, if not longer. So I'm really looking forward to this. And uh, I'm a big fan of Mel Brooks. I, I've generally liked all of the movies of his that I've seen. So number eight, The Producers. Whew. All right, task number nine. You may like the cinematic fiction, but how about someone who can move to reality without friction? Watch a film by a director who's made both documentary and fiction films. You choose the kind of movie. I found a list searching Google about directors who had been directing both documentary films and and non-documentary films, and the one they pointed me toward was Christoph Kieslowski. Kieslowski is the director of the Three Colors trilogy, as well as uh, the Decalogue. I've seen the Three Colors trilogy. I've not seen the Decalogue. And I was pretty uh, not high on the Three Colors trilogy. I do I do want to revisit them. I, I watched them quite a few years ago now, and I'd like to give them a second chance uh, if I could. And I'm very interested to watch the Decalogue. I, I think it'll be fascinating. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to that. But I didn't pick that for this. I ended up picking uh, a short film, from, uh, quote, quote unquote, short film uh, from Kieslowski, uh, which is a short film about love, which is actually 86 minutes long. But it's called A Short Film About Love from 1988. Uh, a 19-year-old Tomek wiles away his lonely life by spying on his opposite neighbor Magda, Magda through binoculars. Magda, Magda. She's an artist in her mid-30s and appears to have everything, not least a constant stream of men at her beck and call. 
but when the two finally meet, they discover that they have a lot more in common than appeared at first sight. Starring Grzania Zapalowski, uh, Olaf Lubezhenko, Stefania Iwinski, Pyotr Mikalika, Arter Barkis, and Stanislaw Golik. Man, I probably did terrible with those. Uh, it has a really high score on, on, on Letterboxd, 4.1. And uh, it is apparently uh, uh, sort of an elongated version of the sixth episode of Kozlowski's Decalogue. So this will simultaneously open me up to something uh, of Kozlowski's Outside of the Three Colors trilogy, as well as give me a little bit of a preview of what to expect from the Decalogue when I eventually get to it. Uh, Moran uh, predicts a 2 out of 5, or a 48 out of 100. Uh, significant, the biggest gap, I think, in between two ratings for us for, so far, he gave it an 85 and he says, you didn't much care for the Three Colors films. This is a similar style, a bit cheaper and a more and more Eastern European looking. And the same kind of storytelling. So this will kind of be the gauge for me as to whether or not revisiting the Three Colors trilogy will be worth my time. Uh, so if I, I'm, if I end up being a lot higher on this film than he thinks, and even maybe even than I think, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to give it like four or five stars, but... If that is the case, if I do find myself very much enjoying this, I will definitely have to revisit the Three Colors trilogy. Uh, because if this is as similar as he claims it to be, then that would be a good indicator that I, I kind of missed the boat the first time around with those films. So I'm I'm looking forward to this more as a, a an exploration than anything else. Uh... But I, I, having just read the synopsis for the first time, I'm, I'm curious. I, I think I'm always interested in sort of uh, unconventional relationships, whether those be by age or, or uh, whatever such thing, location, cast system, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, you know, teenager and and thirty some mid thirties uh, uh, adult. I, I like the possible di- uh, di- di- differences and implications that that kind of a relationship uh, tends toward. So that's a short film about love, number nine. Task number ten. You can think what you want about the athletes, but here they're in the back seats. Watch a sports movie where the main focus isn't on the players, so it could be on the trainers, fans, sport as a whole, or something else. And documentaries count. Uh, task number 10 is a 2006 film from McG uh, that does not focus on the players, but rather focuses on a coach. Uh, in this case, the film is We Are Marshall. When a plane crash claims the lives of members of the Marshall University football team and some of its fans, the team's new coach and his surviving players try to keep the football program alive. Starring Matthew McConaughey, Matthew Fox, Anthony Mackie, David Strathairn, Aidan McShane, Kate Mara, January Jones and others uh this is a film i remember seeing previews for it when it came out wasn't really interested in it uh i also wasn't a fan of matthew mcconaughey at the time but now i am a fan of matthew mcconaughey except i feel like i won't like this movie for that despite that because this is pre mcconaissance and 
you know, it has a 3.1 on Letterboxd, so I, I'm not overly excited for this film. Uh, I do like a good sports movie. This one, I always thought, felt far more cliche than the average sports film. Uh, and so, listen, Moran predicting a 2.5 out of 10 out of 5, a 58 out of 100. Uh, he hasn't seen this. And he says, looking for football movies in your spreadsheet shows me that they mostly get 50s, uh, except for Remember the Titans and Friday Night Lights. This looks more in the style of Remember the Titans, I, I agree. But I think that kind of emotional play doesn't work a lot of the time, and I don't think this will be a movie that keeps those cliches at bay. Uh, that's, yeah, that's kind of exactly where I'm at. I think Remember the Titans, very cliche, but it is powerfully acted and well-written enough to sort of to to rise above those cliches. And Friday Night Lights definitely uh, definitely has a different sort of spin on, on a football movie. And so I do feel like We Are Marshall will be very susceptible to cliche in all of the worst ways possible. So I probably think that it'll be even lower than, than 58. So uh, that's... We are Marshall, number 10. Task number 11. You may think the big stars ought to be immune, but some of them still go way too soon. Watch a film with an actor or actress who passed away before 40. That actor and actress or actress is James Dean. I have seen two of James Dean's big three films. I've seen, uh, I've seen Rebel Without a Cause already. And I have also seen East of Eden. I, I enjoyed both of those very, very, very much. So the third film that he is most known for is Giant, 1956's Giant, directed by George Stevens. A sprawling epic covering the life of a Texas cattle rancher and his family and associates. Uh, starring Elizabeth Taylor, Rock Hudson, James Dean, Carol Baker, Jane Withers, Chill Wills, Mercedes McCambridge, among others. This is a three and a half hour film. I picked a lot of really like epic films for this month. Uh, I didn't happen to be able to mix in some short ones, but a lot of long films this month. <clears throat> I think that James Dean is probably the only actor I I pine for in in a film sort of way. I have been putting off this film for a very long time because I knew that once I watched it, there's really not much left for him. You know, like his own Letterboxd, he's credited with uh, 14 films uh, and, you know, half of them are documentaries about him and his life. And then, you know, the rest are probably films where he has little to no role in. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm. This is this is gonna be really sad. I, I'm not uh, as much as I'm looking forward to seeing this movie. It's gonna be de depressing to watch him and know that this is really the last main role he ever had. Uh, so, listen, Moran predicts a 3.5 out of 5, a 76 out of 100, a little couple points ahead of his rating of 68. 
He says, I like the other two James Dean films a lot, and he thinks this is the weakest one uh, because it is the one that is the least about him, but it asks the most of him. So his, he says his character spans a large age gap. Uh, yeah, James Dean is not the first name. He is the third name on above the, above the poster, the top of the poster. So it does seem that he is not the main character, but he is a one of the principal characters. And uh, so I'm not sure like how close his character is going to be to the ones he played in Rebel Without a Cause or, or, or East of Eden, but I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, I would love for this film to get four and a half stars, a 90 or something, uh, but I would be more than happy if it, it at least got a three and a half. Um, it might even get that much based on James Dean alone. I think he is one of the greatest actors to have ever lived and that says a lot, given that he was in, like, half a dozen films at most. So I'm really looking forward to this. I really want it to be good, and I hope that it is. So that's giant task number 11. Number 12. You are free to think whatever you want about a remake, but don't forget the old ones, for Christ's sake. Watch a previous version of a story being remade in 2017. I found a website that listed all the films that were coming out this year that were remakes or sequels and whatnot. I think it took me until I got to December's releases to find a film that I hadn't seen the original of. And that is the 1990 Joel Schumacher film, Flatliners. Five medical students want to find out if there is life after death. They plan to stop one of their hearts for a few seconds, thus simulating death, and then bring the person back to life. A science fiction thriller from the early 1990s with a star-studded cast starring Kiefer Sutherland, Julia Roberts, Kevin Bacon, William Baldwin, Oliver Platt, Kimberly Scott, uh, Hope Davis, among others. Um, yeah, I, uh, cool, I mean, the concept is fine, but, and, and I guess I don't know if this was the case in 1990, but Certainly now, there are plenty of people whose hearts have stopped and they are still living because they've restarted them. I guess I'm not sure whether or not that was technologically possible in the 1990s, uh, or I guess in 1990. So, maybe it's it's ahead of its time in that respect. I don't know. I, I'm very much not a, a Joel Schumacher fan. Uh... You know, I'm looking at the films of his that I've seen. St. Elmo's Fire is the one I like the most, and and that's not really impressive. Uh, I mean, I guess his Batman films are okay, uh, but yeah, I, I'm not feeling super great about this one. Uh, Moran's prediction is a 1 out of 5 or a 29 out of 100. He gave it a 38, well, very relatively similar. He says, very silly and self-serious movie, and apparently a remake is in the works. You don't seem to like Joel Schumacher's stuff, and this is on the low end of his already pretty crappy body of work. It will fill up your actor's spreadsheet at least. Well, he hit the, no hit the nail on the head there. Uh, it will definitely uh, impact the actors. Um, probably, I believe the highest rated actor I listed from the cast is Oliver Platt. Uh, this will certainly drop him as well as everyone else. But, hey, 
they 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 read this script and decided to do this movie and performed in it and that is the cross they bear so number 12 flatliners task number 13 you know it was animated as a longer show but can a single film carry the same flow watch a film based on an animated show uh so this was tough i've seen most of this the movies based on the animated shows i've watched and I haven't seen the shows of the other movies that I haven't seen. So, like, The Simpsons. I've seen that movie, uh, and uh, I can't even think of the rest of them off the top of my head. But I... Tough finding them, and then I just realized, you know what? A while ago, I started re-watching Pokemon. Uh, I, I wanted to re-watch the whole show, catch up. I don't know why. I don't think it's a great show by any stretch of the imagination. But I, so I only got so far and, you know, the movies are sort of interspersed, interspersed throughout there. Uh, so I went back and I just picked the next Pokemon movie that I have not seen. And that is uh, Pokemon Jirachi Wishmaker from 2003, uh, directed by Kunihiko Yuyama. Uh, this is the, I believe, sixth Pokemon movie, if you ignore Mewtwo Returns, which I believe we mostly do. So there's Pokemon the first movie, Mew versus Mewtwo, Pokemon the movie 2000, Pokemon Spell of the Unknown, Pokemon Forever, Celebi Voice of the Forest, Pokemon Heroes, Latios and Latias is the fifth one. Uh, and then the sixth one is Pokemon Jirachi Wishmaker. Ash, Pikachu, and Friends were visiting a festival celebrating the appearance of a comet when they stumble upon a mysterious rock-like crystal. Uh, this takes place during the Hoenn segment of the show, uh, or, or if you play the games, that would be um, the third generation, I believe. If I'm, I'm, I think I have that right. Yes. Third generation Pokemon. Trico, Torchic, Mudkip generation. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's just another Pokemon movie. I, I you know they're all kind of the same, but, you know, none of them will ever kind of touch the, the impact of the original film and the sadness of everyone turning, of, of Ash turning to stone and that. Uh, Moran's prediction is a 2 out of 5 or a 40 out of 100. He never saw it and never even heard of it. Uh, and he says, My rankings for the Pokemon movies are seem to slowly be drifting downwards over time, although it's much higher and you've seen more of them than I would have guessed. Yeah. I think the only animated series I've seen more from are the Land Before Time films, which I've seen every single one. And I... I might use this as a as an uh, as an excuse to like catch up on just the movies of Pokemon. There's just so many episodes to get through. Uh, the cast uh, names we don't recognize: Yuji Yude, Ueda, Fushigi Yamada, Kaori, Ikui Otani, uh, Kenji Nojima, Koichi Yamadera. Uh, Mostly names that I'm not familiar with. Ikui Otani is the only one I'm super familiar with. Uh, she voices Pikachu uh, and Ash. 
<laughs> as well. So, uh, yeah, it's a Pokemon movie. Uh, Pokemon Jirachi, Wishmaker, number 13. Task number 14. You know that the 70s is quite far away, so how can they look so young today? Watch a film with an actor from that 70s show. Uh, I went with Mila Kunis, uh, whose filmography I have seen fairly extensively. Uh, the, prim- primarily the films of hers I haven't seen are Family Guy movies and really old shitty things. I went with a really old shitty thing called After Sex from 2007, directed by Eric Amadio. Uh, starring Mila Kunis, Dave Franco, Jose Pablo Cantillo, Jane Seymour, Emmanuel Shriqui, Zoe Saldana, Taryn Manning, uh, etc. Mark Blucas, etc. And uh, only reason I'm familiar with this, I was familiar with this film at all, is because I'd seen gifs of the Zoe Saldana Mila Kunis relationship. Um, but this is more of like an anthology film. Uh, so, sex is a background to examine intimacy and vulnerability. Looks at the complexity of modern day relationships told through eight separate couples. Through dialogue and compromising situations, the film takes us from the beginning of a relationship to the aftermath of one, and examines every stage in between, seeing humor within the drama, heartache, and confusion of it all. So, uh, much like uh, Flatliners, this film will have a significant number of people on the spreadsheet to adjust their scores for. Uh, It is also under 80 minutes long, so it is hella short. Um, But, I I mean, I like a lot of the actors in this. I like Taron Manning, who's on Orange is the New Black. I like Zoe Saldana. I like Emmanuel Shikri. I like Dave Franco, I like Mila Kunis, I like Jane Seymour. So, uh, I guess, like, in my own sadistic way, I am forcing their ratings to go down because I fully expect this to not be good. As does Moran, who is predicting a half star or a 14 out of 100. This is another film he has never seen or heard of. Don't know what this is or why he picked it. It looks like one of those indies that premieres at a small regional film festival and is never heard of again. Except this has a few names attached. I'm imagining this movie as being shot on like a shitty handheld VHS video camera in 1993. Certainly could have been. uh, But it came out in 2007. So, I don't know. But, yeah. It's probably going to be pretty bad. Definitely an early contender for worst film of the month. Um, After Sex. Great. Task number four. Or task number 15 now. You're familiar with their scares, but did you know they had other affairs? Watch a non-horror movie from a director mostly known for horror films. That would be uh, a 2007 film from James Wan. That's James Wan. That's who I decided to go with. Uh, that The film is Death Sentence. Nick Hume is a mild-mannered executive with a perfect life until one gruesome night he witnesses something that changes him forever. Transformed by grief, Hume eventually comes to the disturbing conclusion that no length is too great when protecting his family. Not exactly a horror film. Uh, it's qualified as thriller action crime drama on Letterboxd. Uh, so, slightly different. Starring Kevin Bacon, Garrett Hedlund, Kelly Preston, John Goodman, Aisha Tyler, Matt O'Leary, among others. Another Kevin Bacon film. Uh, I like Kevin Bacon, uh, but uh, he is very miss with me. I think he's only had a couple of films where I think he's actually 
truly great in. Um, I know I've I've family members who who swear by Kevin Bacon, but Kevin Bacon death sentence. Listen, Moran predicts a two out of five, forty-seven out of a hundred. He hasn't seen it. This is a movie that whose name I've heard of, but I have no recollection of its existence, and I wasn't and I was paying attention to movies in two thousand seven. This is the kind of movie that is probably somebody some people's favorite obscure film. The ratings are mixed, so I figure the movie is basically just decent. Uh sure. You know, it's it's probably better the more you like Jane, uh Kevin Bacon. Um, but I I don't generally like Kevin Bacon. I specifically like him in a couple of things i don't know if this will be one of those things but uh, that remains to be seen i hope so i mean james wan i think is a solid director so it'll be interesting to see you know i've seen his fast and furious movie i've seen uh and i've seen some of his horror films so it'll be interesting to see how he tackles the thriller genre i like the conjuring i like furious 7 i like saw uh, I haven't seen The Conjuring 2, uh, or, or I mean, those are the only films I've seen. Um, this will kind of be a good predictor for whether or not he'll be able to pull off a film like Aquaman, I think. You know, just to see, like, how far... Like, I think Furious 7 was a good predict, probably a much better predictor of Aquaman. And I think he did a great job on that, so I'm excited. Uh, but this will kind of show if he can pull off a different side of, of, of film genres. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Death Sentence, James Wan, task number 15. Cool. Task number 16. You may think my rhyming may be questionable, but perhaps there are others whom are more fashionable. Watch a film based on a poem or about poetry. Uh, I think there was a similar... uh, task to this one not too long ago if i recall and so and i think that one was specifically about poetry not based on a poem so i went uh, so i worked on a film that uh is based on a poem uh there are a lot even you know my absolute favorite film the nightmare before christmas is based on a poem but uh, i went with the same film that our illustrious host uh chose and that is a 2007 film directed by robert zemeckis titled beowulf uh, beowulf sixth century scandinavian warrior beowulf embarks on a mission to slay the manlike ogre grendel a descendant of cain uh, beowulf is a very popular and well-known story i will admit that i am not terribly familiar with it if I'm being honest, uh, you know, I'm certainly not, uh, I guess I would say, a stranger to, to epic poems. I, I have studied them in the past. Uh, Beowulf, however, was not one that I was va- very much uh, involved with. I, I didn't really, you know, I've never watched any other Beowulf adaptation, um, and I've never read Beowulf. I'm certainly very familiar with the name, but that's that's about the extent of it. Uh, And so this film came out in 2007 and completely uh, 
went over my head, I, I wasn't really concerned with it whatsoever. Uh, so this one is like animated in like this strange mocap style uh, starring Ray Winstone, Angelina Jolie, Anthony Hopkins, Robin Wright, John Malkovich, Brendan Gleeson, Crispin Glover, Alison Lohman, uh, among others. And uh, it, it was just, it looked really strange because it looks like it should be live action. I don't know why they decided to animate it at all. It, it, I, the decision making there, I, I just don't really follow. Uh, so, Moran is predicting a one and a half, or a 36 out of a hundred. Um, he says, you like the Polar Express way more than I do, uh, saying it's a travesty. And to me, this has that same look that makes me want to gouge my eyes out. You're not too high on Robert Zemeckis in general. This also just seems boring, but that's just my general opinion of movies based on old myths. Uh, yeah, I... As far as old myths movies go, I, I tend to agree. I, I think we haven't really... I, I think that like they're best suited for more of an epic sword and sandals style film. You know, something like a, a uh, Lawrence of Arabia type of thing. And that is not at all what this movie is. And, uh, you know, it's it's not... Like what this film actually is is probably going to end up being the re reducted, you know, trimming the quote unquote fat of anything that isn't romance or action and getting all that out of there. And I think, you know, I would guess that there's a vast majority of Beowulf, the story, that isn't action and romance, which uh, is probably for a reason, because there's more to a story than action and romance. Uh, so, I do feel as though it's tough to make, turn a myth, uh, uh, like a good Greek or Roman myth or, or you know, even something like this into a movie that isn't even two hours long. So, yeah, I don't know. It, 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 hmm. I'm not super excited for it, but it's a film that like, if just the 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 vibe that it gives off has been sort of gestating in my brain for a long time now. So, I uh, I'll be happy to get it out of the off the list finally. So that's number sixteen, Beowulf. Number seventeen, you can wear something knit. So why not watch it? Watch a film with some kind of clothing in its title. Uh, the first film I stumbled upon for this task was The Robe, which I've already been using, already had already used in a previous task. Uh, so after trying to find another film uh, that Bess Flowers was in, the, the extra who's been in over 400 films, uh, I, I think I'd scrolled through about 200 of her movies and none of them except The Robe had a piece of clothing in the title. Uh, so I finally defaulted back to another film that I had seen, uh, or not seen, but, but knew had a clothing in the title. And that's a 1995 film directed by Carl Franklin titled Devil in a Blue Dress. 
In the late 1940s Los Angeles, Easy Rollins is an unemployed black World War II veteran with a few job pros- with few job prospects. At a bar, Easy meets DeWitt Albright, a mysterious white man looking for someone to investigate the disappearance of a missing white woman named Daphne Monet, who he suspects is hiding out in one of the city's black jazz clubs. Strapped for money and facing house payments, Easy takes the job, but soon soon finds himself in over his head, starring Denzel Washington, Tom Sizemore, Jennifer Beals, Don Cheadle, Maury Chaikin, and among others. Uh, Denzel Washington is worth the price of admission in and of himself. Uh, everyone else tacked onto this is just uh, cherry on top, really. And this is a, a Denzel film that really eluded me. Uh, you know, the poster Denzel looks dashing. He looks very handsome in in this in this uh, in the front top front poster, the title title poster, movie poster, whatever. Uh, but uh, you know, I don't know. I, I part of me feels like it might be a little dated. I don't know. I think it, it definitely has this. It lives in this sort of obscure mid-90s neo-noir closet almost um i don't know i'm not really sure what to what to think so moran's predicting a three out of five or 69 out of 100 just shy of the 70 uh says hasn't seen it and is saying uh been meaning to see this my idea of a potential hidden gem was looking for 90s neo-noirs you've seen. You liked The Last Seduction. Not that I think they will be similar, but I feel that's the style of the time. Uh, and uh, that's that's fair. I, I think that that's, there's a lot, a lot of fairness going on. I did quite enjoy The Last Seduction. Uh, however, it's been very, very long since I've seen it. Uh, over three years, over four years now. Wow. So... I think that I think it's I think it ultimately falls definitely on the positive side of 50 uh, mostly because of Denzel who you know as an actor can do no wrong as someone who chooses the pictures that he's in not perfect uh, you know but but he in the movie is always good and always fun to watch and entertaining and, and so I'm looking forward to that most of all so that's devil in a blue dress Number 17. Task number 18. You may have your opinions on the meme, but wouldn't every film be better if these guys did the theme? Watch a film featuring any song by Smash Mouth. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I, I googled like Smash Mouth soundtracks, whatever, and uh, oh, here we go, here we go soundtracks on imdb just to figure out what song it was um because the movie i ended up picking is from 2005 directed by nigel cole and looking down their soundtrack credits semi-charmed life by third eye blind save tonight eagle eyed cherry there she goes by the getaway people walking on the sun by smash mouth mint car by the cure um let's see anything else that I recognize. Look what you've done by Jet. Dun, 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 dun. Body Rock by Moby. If you leave me now by Chicago. I'll be there for you. Uh, 
written by John Bon Jovi, performed by Ashton Kutcher, who is in the movie. Uh, so if that doesn't give it away, then the film is a lot like love. On a flight from Los Angeles to New York, Oliver and Emily make a connection, only to decide that they are poorly suited to be together. Over the next seven years, however, they are reunited time and time again. They go from being acquaintances to close friends to ellipses lovers question mark starring ashton kutcher amanda peet amy garcia taryn manning another taryn manning movie ali larder katherine hahn cal penn gabriel mann among others uh, Ooh, moon blood good like my favorite name ever so many o's in this name moon blood good <laughs> uh yeah so this is a reportedly bad movie um you know ashton kutcher is no stranger to the shitty rom-com territory uh looking at his filmography here new year's eve no strings attached valentine's day just married killers what happens in vegas a lot like love my boss's daughter guess who uh yeah he's 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 in very familiar territory here Although, I will say that I, I like No Strings Attached. It's not great, but I, I do like it. I think it's fun. <clears throat> um, yeah, so a lot like love. Let's see here. Predicting a two and a half. Uh, Moran has not seen this film. Uh, 57 out of 100 specifically. He says, this has a much higher letterboxed IMDb rating than I would have guessed. There's probably something charming here that I'm not seeing from my cursory glance at the film. I would love for that to be true. It has a three on Letterboxd, which isn't high, but, you know, that puts it in the 60 range on my spreadsheet, if that's what I give it, and so that's good. Uh, it does have a, it has a 6.6 on, on IMDb, which is, is fine. I guess it's okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I used to watch Guess Who a lot when I was younger. I thought it was funny. It's, it's probably not if I went back and watched it again. Um, but I, I recently just, dis- I used to think I hated Amanda Peet as well. And then I saw her in, uh, that, that, uh, Duplass Brothers show on HBO, um, Togetherness, I think. And I, I loved her on that. So maybe, I don't know. I, I might have a good time with this. We'll see. I do like a lot of the people in the cast, Taryn Manning, Catherine Hahn, Cal Penn's okay. Amy Garcia. I recognize the name. Mm, not really. Nope. I don't know. We'll see. It, it's likely to kind of just get lost amidst the shuffle, I think, this month. Maybe a candidate for most most forgotten film. Most forgettable film, to be, to be clear. So that's number 18. A lot like love. <laughs> number 19. You don't think I've gone on enough with this style and should leave the rhyming to someone else for a while? Watch a film with a rhyme in the title. Here's a list with help. I went through the list uh, and I stumbled on a film from 2009 directed by Werner Herzog starring Michael Shannon, Willem Dafoe, Chloe Sevigny, Brad Dourif, Michael Pena, Loretta Devine, Udo Kier, among others. Uh, the film is titled, My Son, My Son, What Have Ye Done? Brad, Michael Shannon, has committed murder and barricaded himself inside his house. 
With the help of his friends and neighbors, the cops pieced together the strange tale of how this nice young man arrived at such a dark place. Based on a true story, this gripping and unnerving blend of deadpan comedy, melodrama, and raw tragedy is fleshed out by an expert cast, including Willem Dafoe and Chloe Sevigny. Uh, I love all the names that I know are attached to this. I work from Herzog to Shannon, Defoe, Sevigny, Dorif, Pena, Divine, Kier. Everyone involved in this is great, in my opinion. Uh, Pena is probably the most suspect name there. It's produced by David Lynch. You know, there's there's so much that could go right for this movie. So it's troubling that it has a 3.2 on on run, on on Letterboxd. Uh, and only a 6.3 on IMDb. That is very low. But, um, I don't know. To that credit, like looking at some of these reviews here, some some five-star reviews, four and a half, three and a half, but one and a half. Uh, so it, it seems kind of divisive uh, to some extent. So Moran is predicting a two. Uh, he has not seen this film, uh, predicting a 2 or a 46 out of 100. Herzog fictional features have been getting much, much worse, apparently, since around the time of this movie. This came out the same year as his Bad Lieutenant sequel, which was decent, and this one got worse reviews. Maybe the fact that this is based on a true story will make the ridiculous that happens more fun, but I'll bet against it. So, man, everything about this on paper sounds so perfect. I... I Really, I, I don't know where it goes wrong. I mean, I guess I'll see if, if that is the case. Um, I don't know. The poster's really shitty. Maybe that's maybe that's a, a predictor for what's to come. I'm not sure. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I love Michael Shannon. I, I've never... Never not loved Michael Shannon. Even as a, even when I was very young, he was in Kangaroo Jack, which was like my favorite movie for the longest time. I thought it was just the greatest thing ever. <laughs> um, and, and Michael Shannon was a big part of that. So I'm looking forward to it for that reason alone. Uh, so hopefully it will be at least enjoyable to watch. So that's number 19, My Son, My Son, What Have Ye Done? Task number 20. You may perhaps not like to play with bricks, but admit that they have utilized some cool flicks. Watch a film that exists as a Lego franchise as well. Man, I, uh, I've i seen like every single movie that has, has had a Lego franchise based on a Star Wars, Harry Potter, Batman, Indiana Jones. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's so many, you know. And then I finally remembered uh, one of the films. Um, I watched the original film of this series a couple of months ago, I think, uh, for a different scavenger hunt. And this is another property that has uh, a Lego franchise made out made after it. And this is a 1991 film directed by Michael Pressman, and that's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. Uh, the Turtles and the Shredder battle once again, this time for the last canister of the ooze that created the Turtles, which Shredder wants to create an army of new mutants. Starring Paige Turco, David Warner, Michael Ansisti, Leif Tilden, Ken Scott, Mark Queso, Kevin Clash, Ernie Reyes Jr., 
and a bunch of other names I have I'm not don't know uh, except Vanilla Ice is apparently in this movie. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, I was I guess I would say I was charmed by the original film. Uh, not that I think it was quite good. Uh, you know, I gave it a 60. So I think it just eclipsed that point. Um, so, you know, and I watched it in August last year. Uh, from By all accounts, this one is supposed to be worse. And most people agree that the original one is actually not a good movie. It's mostly a nostalgia pick for people. So... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I like I like the the first film a lot better than the Michael Bay want versions. Uh, they're just far superior. So at least the the vibe and atmosphere of this movie will probably be more enjoyable to me than than the quality of the movie, I guess. Uh, Moran says he hasn't seen this movie except he might have seen it when he was very little and forgotten about it. He's predicting a two and a half or a fifty two says, I gave the original one a 60. This one has a lower letterbox rating, and since you saw the first one recently, I can't say that you gave it that rating due to nostalgia. I'll go on the safe side and just go for a rating that's a bit lower. I think that's fair. Uh, I probably would have even got, probably guessed uh, something even lower than 52. But, you know, I think there's... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this film definitely has some passionate passionate followers as I'm like scrolling through some of the reviews here. Um, so... I'm not sure. Uh, uh, apprehensive. I, I think it'll probably be uh, unremarkable, to say the least. So that's number 20, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of Views. Task number 21. You think the journey of life is a straight way, but there are people who from this road stray. Watch a film with a person or several who ages differently e.g. are immortal, ages faster than normal, or something similar. Uh, so sort of like a Benjamin Button type of a deal. Uh, but I, I think I immediately just googled immortal movie characters, and the one of the first results is a sort of widely referenced film that, by all accounts, is more a term in, in society than it is a well-respected movie uh, and that's a 1986 movie directed by russell mulcahy mulcahy uh, highlander there can only be one he fought his first battle on the scottish highlands in 1536 he will fight his greatest battle on the streets of new york city in 1986 his name is connor mcleod he is immortal i might have pronounced that wrong starring christopher lambert roxanne hart clancy brown sean connery among others this is an iconic film, if for no other reason than uh, I think the idea of Highlander is so frequently uttered in the current vernacular. Um, you know, I, I know me personally have, have I've had conversations at work that have been about clones or or doppelgangers and consistently i have one coworker in particular who says it's a highlander situation or you know it's it's you know you there can only be one you know that kind of a thing so 
I've never seen it, but it's definitely a movie that I'm I'm well aware of the the legacy it has spawned. Uh, Moran gave this movie a 24. He's predicting a one and a half or a 30 out of 100. He says, just not a good movie in my opinion. Doesn't really do anything with its premise, and all the acting is shit. Some nice locations, I guess. Yeah, I hate Christopher Lambert. I hate him. I don't know why he was allowed to act in anything. Um, I mean, Sean Connery's good. Clancy Brown is good. But I, I don't recognize Roxanne Hart by name. And I've only seen her in two movies. And now she's a lot older. So, yeah, uh, this is probably just going to be a shit show. Maybe so bad it's good. I don't know. We'll have to see. So that's Highlander number 21. Number 22. You have seen it referenced all around the internet, but have you seen the context yet? Watch a film that spawned a meme or from a franchise that spawned a meme. Uh, this was a tricky. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to find a meme that I was familiar with so that it would make sense and, and that I would be... I don't know, it would give me better cultural awareness of, of what was going on. I didn't exactly find that. The, the, the meme that I, I'm using for this, I, I'm not entirely familiar with. Not that I, I consider myself familiar with memes in general on a first-name basis anyway. Uh, but this is a 1980 film uh, directed by Harold Ramis called Caddyshack. That's right, I have not seen Caddyshack before. An exclusive country club, an ambitious young caddy, Danny Noonan, eagerly pursues a caddy scholarship in hopes of attending college and, in turn, avoiding a job at the lumberyard. In order to succeed, he must first win the favor of the elitist Judge Smales, and then the caddy golf tournament which Smales sponsors. Starring Chevy Chase, Rodney Dangerfield, Ted Knight, Michael O'Keefe, Bill Murray, Sarah Holcomb, Scott Columby, um, Brian Doyle Murray, among others, uh, the the meme in question is the meme of uh, I, I believe it, it the idea behind the meme is that you you lead off with something terribly tragic. So for example, I might say, uh, yeah, I, I fractured my pinky finger at work the other day. I had to have major surgery. I've been out of work for weeks, um, but. I just uh, got a free ice cream on my at, at Dairy Queen the other day, so I got that going for me. And so you know, you you start out with something terribly awful that happened, then you adage it with like a very small positive thing, and then so I got that going for me, which is apparently a line and sequence of events that happens uh, by, from Bill Murray's character in the movie. So that's the meme. It's not one that I was familiar with prior to reading about it. But, you know, this is definitely a film that needs to kind of be checked off the, the list. And so, Moran gave this a 36, pretty low. And he's predicting a 1 from me, or a 24 out of 100. He says, pretty unfunny, especially Bill Murray. If you like Rodney Dangerfield jokes, this is the movie for you. Chevy Chase is easily the best thing here. I'm going to guess that you will find this very dated in the worst ways. That's really surprising. I... My prediction is that this will be the least accurate prediction that he made this month. I feel like I'm going to enjoy it quite a bit. 
Like I, I'm going to predict a three out of five from me, somewhere in the low to mid sixties. Um, I don't know. I, I've just I've heard so many things about Caddyshack, and uh, maybe that just I don't know. Maybe just so many people uh, commenting on you know revering it in that way has made me that much more invested in it. I, I guess. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I feel very optimistic about this film heading in, but uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe he knows something I don't. He has seen it and I haven't. So that's Caddyshack number 22. Task number 23. You think you have an idea what you are in for, but this film features so much more. Watch a film with a misleading title. This is a 1971 film by Sam Peckinpah. Uh, Sam Peckinpah. This is the first Sam Peckinpah film that I've seen. Uh, he's made some pretty recognizable titles. Uh, his most popular on Letterboxd is The Wild Bunch. Um, and uh, there's definitely a couple others here I'm looking through that I, I'm familiar with in title, at least. This film, however, is Straw Dogs. Uh, a young American and his English wife come to rural England and face increasingly vicious local harassment. Starring Dustin Hoffman, Susan George, Peter Vaughn, T.P. McKenna, Jim Norton, among others. Um, I, I believe, pretty, I, I think I, I watched, if not all of, part of the remake of this film. No, I couldn't, I didn't watch all of it. Uh, straw Dogs. Not on my spreadsheet, but I know they remade this in 2011 with James Marsden, right? And uh, it was pretty bad. I remember I saw part of it. I didn't really like it, um, but I know generally what's going on. So Straw Dogs doesn't really tell you that it's a pretty violent movie, as far as I'm aware. It has a very high rating on Letterboxd and Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb. Uh, it's pretty well respected um whether or not people truly like it is is another question entirely uh you know as it's kind of one of those films that was very shocking at the time and has kind of dulled since then uh but i don't know I, it would be interesting to see you know i love i like dustin hoffman especially when he was younger and so i'll be interested to see just how just how he handles being in this kind of a role. This seems very unorthodox and out of character for him, uh, to the best of my knowledge in his filmography. So, Moran gave this a 55, pretty, pretty average. He's predicting a 2 for me or a 41 out of 100. He calls it nihilistically violent and difficult to sit through. The sexual violence doesn't help. A very grimy movie. You don't strike me as liking vigilante films, especially from this era. You gave Death Wish a low rating. This is true. I was really not a fan of Death Wish. It was just so boring and, and inconsequential. Um, yeah, you know, I, I give me a John Wick any day. This does not seem like a John Wick. Uh, but this is like a, I don't know, a home invasion movie, I guess. Uh, and, and so... 
I don't know. I think this is another one that I think he's really low on. I'm a little more optimistic about my rating for this. Uh, but, you know, after after last month's Hoop Dreams, you know, I can't really say definitively that, that any movie going forward is going to be certif- like certainly good. So, number 23, Straw Dogs. Task number 24. You may think it's not that relevant, but representation is actually important. Watch a film written by a woman. And I... See, how did I figure this one out? I went to my writer's page on my spreadsheet and just kind of went down the list of, of female writers, sort of top to bottom. And the first one I found that had a film I hadn't seen yet is Caroline Thompson. Uh, Caroline Thompson, who is currently tied for 18th on my spreadsheet, uh, who I currently am giving credit for having written, in some part, The Nightmare Before Christmas and Corpse Bride, is also, uh, fittingly enough, Part of the writing team on a 1991 film directed by Barry Sonnenfeld, The Adams Family. The Adams Family, about as close as you can get to a Tim Burton movie without being a Tim Burton movie. Uh, star uh, is uh, Uncle Fester has been missing for 25 years. An evil doctor finds out and introduces a fake Fester in an attempt to get the Adams Family's money. The youngest daughter has some doubts about the new Uncle Fester. But the fake ad- uncle adapts very well to the strange family. Can the doctor carry out her evil plans and take over the Adams family's fortune? Starring Raul Julia, Angelica Huston, Christopher Lloyd, Christina Ricci, Carol Strucken, Dan Hadea, uh, Elizabeth Wilson, uh, among others. Uh, this is a movie that I've kind of had on my list for a while now. Um... You know, I, I have have kind of been selling my Angelica Huston stock recently, but uh, I, I'm still a fan of Raul Julia, Christopher Lloyd, Christina Ricci, Dan Hedaya. So I, I am looking forward to this. It does, I, I do love the uh, Tim Burton atmosphere of it all. I think he's, I, I, I even the films of his that I, I, I don't like, that I think are bad, I still... Admi- I still in- enjoy the, the, the look and the feels of them. And while this is, you know, not a Tim Burton movie, it, it is quite about as close as you can get, really, as I kind of alluded to. So I'm, I'm interested for that, that reason alone. Uh, so let's see here. Moran is predicting a three out of five, and a 62 out of 100. Uh, this is a film he says he hasn't seen, but he might have seen it and forgotten about it. Uh, he's seen the second one for sure, but he doesn't have any rem- any memory of the first one. Uh, you seem okay with the Tim Burton stuff from that era, and the acting here is good. Seeming okay with Tim Burton? Maybe an understatement, but I, I sympathize. Uh, yeah, 62. I say that's a little conservative. Um, it's got a 3.4 on, on Letterboxd which at a, on a scale of 100 translates to a 68. Uh, not that I 
necessarily always parrot the ratings on Letterboxd. But, mm, yeah, I don't know. The the sort of Halloween motif and, and, and uh, that kind of color palette is generally one that I find very favorable. So... Uh, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about this one. I'm feeling pretty good about this one. So that's The Addams Family, number 24. Number 25 is... Uh, you haven't seen the start, but doesn't matter if this one is miles apart. Watch a sequel in a franchise where you haven't seen the first film. But since I understand that many people would like to see things in order, this can also be a series with no real chronology between the entries. For example... The Bond films up until 2006, or thematic trilogies. Uh, I took his suggestion to heart. I went with a Bond film that I haven't seen, to the best of my knowledge. I I know that I've seen, I'm sure like I've watched a few Bond films um, when I was younger, but I, I really don't remember anything about them at all. So... Uh, so as far as I'm aware, I haven't seen this movie. I also don't believe I've seen the first Bond film. Uh, so this is the 1963 Terrence Young directed From Russia with Love. Agent 007 is back in the second installment of the James Bond series, this time battling a secret crime organization, organization known as Spectre. Russians Rosa Klebb and Kronstein are out to snatch a decoding device known as the Lecter using the ravishing Tatiana to lure Bond into helping them. Bond willingly travels to meet Tatiana in Istanbul, where he must rely on his wits to escape with his life in a series of deadly encounters with the enemy. I, I'm a big fan of Craig Bond, uh, and Con but Connery Bond was the one, the initial uh, James Bond that I kind of grew up with. But I, I guess I would, I would say I, wouldn't re I didn't really have any major attachments to the character until... Daniel Craig stepped into the role, and I wasn't. I never went back and like watched old Bond films when I was younger. So I'm I'm interested. I I I, I find Connery to having having watched a couple of them more recently. I think he's fine. Uh, I don't find the films quite as in, enjoyable and exciting as I did when I was a kid. Um, and I, I really haven't explored anyone else playing Bond besides Connery and Craig. Actually, I think that's not entirely true. I think I, I think I've looked at uh, one other Bond actor, Craig Bond, James Bond. Moore. I, I I watched one Roger Moore Bond. I watched Live and Let Die, and I thought it was fine. I thought it was okay. Uh, but anyway, uh, starring Sean Connery, uh, Daniela Bianchi, 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 Pedro Armendare, Armendares. Latte, Lenya, Robert Shaw, Bernard Lee, Eunice Gason, uh, and others. Let's see here. Uh, Moran's predicting a three and a half out of five, or a 71 out of 100. It says, going by your rating of 68 for Goldfinger, and because From Russia With Love is usually seen as the best Connery Bond film, the train fight sequence is good, and it was mimicked in Spectre. I watched most of the pre-90s Bond films early last year. And I don't really like any of them. So, yeah, he has a kind of a tepid response. You know, he, he's predicting a 71 out of 100. He gave the, the film a 44 himself. And 
that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I'm getting the vibe from, and I'm starting to kind of realize that before Daniel Craig, most of the Bond films were simply a sort of vague outline of a story that becomes compounded by Bond getting into an unsavory position with a female debutante. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, it kind of, I guess it kind of depends, you know, see, watch, having watched these movies out of order, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if I just kind of think of this movie as more of the same from Connery Bond and Bond in general, or if there's anything actually interesting going on here. Uh, this does name drop Spectre, uh, same as the title in the last Craig Bond film that came out. Uh, so at least I'll have some sort of um, uh, bearings to, to get a hold of as far as this goes. So from Russia with Love, task number 25. Number 26 for this month, you may not like your neighbor, but try and check out some of their film labor. Watch a film from the neighboring country that geographically is the closest to where you are now. Well, that country is Canada. So I went to, I was going to go to Canadian films and on Letterboxd and just kind of find the most popular one I hadn't seen. But I determined that there's actually a Canadian film that is on the Cinerealist Top 200, particularly James's Top 200. That is the 1983 film directed by Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas, who also star Strange Brew. Something is rotten at the El El Elsinore Brewery. Bob and Doug McKenzie help the orphan Pam regain the brewery founded by her recently deceased father. But to do so, they must confront the suspicious Brewmeister Smith and two teams of vicious hockey players. Uh, this is a comedy from Canada about beer involving hockey starring Dave Thomas Rick Moranis, Max von Sydow <laughs> Paul Dooley Lynn Griffin Angus McGuinness, Roger Dunn and Tom Harvey so <laughs> James is very fond of this film and I'd never even heard of it until he mentioned it uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Rick Moranis, I think he's he's got his niche I like uh, Little Shop of Horrors, the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids uh, movies are fine. He's good in Ghostbusters, um, but he's generally, other than, um, I guess, I, I guess I would say that he has a, the lead role in Little Shop of Horrors. I wouldn't say that about any of the other films that I can recall seeing him in. So, I don't know. I, I guess it's just kind of trying to figure out if the tone and, and angle of this movie is at all parallel to the way, to the kind of humor that I enjoy. And, you know, I, I can't say that I know anything about the movie other than what I just read. And I know when I was younger, you know, Adam Sandler movies were very much in line with my particular brand of humor. Uh, they, I've since grown up and that's not really the case anymore uh, so kind of depends like just where on that spectrum strange brew falls moran gave this movie a 44 and he's predicting a two and a half out of five or a 52 out of 100 for me 
Uh, he says, I don't like this movie as much as a Canadian should. He's from Canada, so it's fitting. He's the authority in this case. It's pretty clever for what it is, but this film's sense of humor just doesn't match mine. I think the weirdness and unpredictability of this movie will provide some entertainment value, at least. So, yeah, he's got kind of the same concern going on as well. Uh, it's really just comedies are generally just going to be about the sense of humor and whether or not that matches up with the viewer. So that's kind of all it's hinging on. It's kind of crazy to see Max von Sydow listed in the cast for this. Does not feel like the kind of movie he would be a part of. But I don't know. I mean, I've been watching quite a few Max von Sydow movies lately. And uh, maybe this is just one at the lower end of the spectrum for him. So that's Strange Brew, number 26. Film number 20, or task number 27. You know they did films this long, even way back when? Try and go even further back then. Watch a film over 60 minutes long from the same year or earlier than the same year of your earliest watched film with that length. So the earliest feature film that you've seen, watch a film from that year or before. The earliest feature length film I've seen is from 1919. It's called Presidenten or The President in English. My synopsis is a nobleman abandons his woman with child, then later must decide what to do with his daughter when his daughter is on trial. I did not care for this film at all. I gave it a five out of hundred. It is a silent film, and I watched it in six years ago, so I, I was really not in a position at that point to appreciate silent films anyway. So there may be sort of a bias there as far as the rating goes. Um but, so I'm, I looked for another film from 1919 that I had not seen that was feature length. And what I stumbled on was a 1919 film directed by D.W. Griffith called Broken Blossoms. Uh, this is a film that I've never heard of. And uh, D.W. Griffith, probably most famous for directing the original The Birth of a Nation, the very racist film that... Uh, was <laughs> that uh, Birth of a Nation recently came out last year, um, which is a completely different movie, but that is probably what he is most associated with. Uh, this one, Broken Blossoms, is an American silent film from director D.W. Griffith. This melodrama tells this love story of an abused English woman and a Chinese Buddhist in a time when London was a brutal and harsh place to live. Starring Lillian Gish, Richard Barthelmess, Donald Crisp, Arthur Howard, Edwell, Edward Peel Sr., George Berenger, and Norman Selby. I do recognize a couple of those names. Uh, it's a silent film, and it's not like a slapstick comedy, sort of Charles Chaplin um, or, or Lloyd or, or Buster Keaton film. So I, I'm initially put off by, by silent films just as a sort of rule of thumb I, it's t I, I haven't really discovered a truly great silent film yet I don't think and I think and that's probably what's really uh, cautioning me to, to I just I don't know I have a really tough time getting invested when I have to spend you know however long 30 45 seconds reading the dialogue and not seeing the characters, and generally I can read the whatever's put in front of me 
in half the time that they leave it up on the screen, so I get distracted very easily watching silent films. Uh, so I, I'm that's generally my worry. Moran has not seen this, and his uh, his prediction is a two out of five, 43 out of 100. He says, I don't see any real silent melodramas on your spreadsheet. Uh, the only thing I see that might compare is Wings. Reading that this film has Lillian Gish in yellow face, I'm going to hedge my bets on it's on on it scoring very high at all. So, yeah, yellow face. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily better or worse than black face. I guess it's probably the same. Uh, really not a fan of any face. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I like Lillian Gish, but uh, again, you know, yellow face isn't really something I'm looking forward to. Good chance this film ends up kind of low in that regard as well, you know, combined with the fact that it's a silent film. It's not really, uh, doesn't seem like my cup of tea, as it were. So that's number 27, uh, Broken Blossoms. Number 28, you may mostly know their music of another kind, but sometimes the music and film has aligned. Watch a film with a soundtrack by an artist famous for other music than soundtracks. Uh, and then he provides a list with such examples. Uh, yeah, so I went to that list and I scrolled down and found a film with a significant number of uh, actors in it that I was familiar with. And that brought me to the Edward Burns directed and starring film from 1996, She's the One. A romantic comedy about two brothers and the one thing that came between them. Mickey, as free-spirited New York cabbie, and Francis, a materialistic Wall Street stockbroker, are extremely competitive and confused about women as a result of their father's influence. Though they disagree about everything, they have one thing in common. Mickey's ex-fiancee, Heather, is Francis's secret love. Though, they, though both brothers have beautiful wives, Heather triggers their longtime sibling rivalry. Edward Burns stars and plays Mickey. Uh, Michael McGlone is playing the other male lead in Francis. And then the three main women are Cameron Diaz, Jennifer Aniston, and uh, I think Amanda Peet. Because that actress in the poster does not look like Leslie Mann, who is also in the movie, along with John Mahoney and Maxine Bonds. Hmm. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, I, um, I mean, it features Jennifer Aniston as Rachel from Friends, and it's kind of just a throwaway 90s rom-com. Drama. Dramedy. Uh, yeah, rom-com. It's gonna, I'm gonna go with rom-com. Moran gave this a 36, predicting a 42 for me, a 2 out of 5. The first thing that came to mind is that I remember this as being an unfunny and serious Friends episode. That's probably because Jennifer Aniston is in it and it feels very 90s. Edward Burns is not an actor I find easy to put up with. He always strikes me as thinking he is way smarter than everyone else there. This movie plays like that as well. I think his prediction is a little high, to be honest. I fully expect this to be absolutely toward the bottom, probably a worst film of the month contender. Um, I, I do concur. I think Edward Burns is a pretty shite actor. And uh, let me see. Looking at his 
filmography here. He was in The Holiday, bad. Friends with Kids, bad. Confidence, bad. Um, and then Saving Private Ryan, which is good. But he was also in 27 Dresses and Life or Something Like It, Sidewalks of New York. He's kind of a rom-com guy. Not interested. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not even really looking forward to watching this. But it's another Amanda Peet film. Uh, so there's that, I guess. So tw- tw- 28. Oh, and the, the music. So the task. Uh, music, but the score soundtrack being done by an artist other than someone who does soundtracks really is Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Tom Petty. I like Tom Petty. So that's number 28. She's the one. Task number 29. You have the tunes to dance to, so why not see the film too? Watch a film that shares the name with a band, artist, or song. And this one is another Cinerealist Top 200 film. This one is a Zach film, uh, I believe. I always, every once in a while, I'll get that wrong. So let me just double check here. Yes, a Zach film, his 101st ranked film at this point, and that is the 1980 film directed by Alan Parker, Fame, uh, the same as the title song, as the song by Irene Cara, who stars in this film, Fame, uh, a chronicle of the lives of several teenagers who attend a New York high school for gifted students in the performing arts, starring Eddie Barth, Irene Cara, Lee Curry, Laura Dean, Antonia Franceschi, Boyd Gaines, Albert Haig, uh, and others. A lot of people I don't really know. And yeah, uh, Fame is a musical. So I think, sort of. I had the impression that it was a musical. Maybe it isn't. No, it's a musical. At least IMDb calls it a musical. It won Best Original Song and Best Score. For us at the Oscars and was nominated for four other awards. So that's pretty significant to me as far as my spreadsheet is concerned. Uh, Moran gave this a 55, predicting I give it a 57 or a 2.5 out of 5. He says, Although my score isn't very high, I was pleasantly surprised by this movie. It wasn't the breaking to electric boogaloo I had imagined. It's actually part Degrassi high and part stomp. Its loose structure was a welcome relief and really keeps the movie moving. I I hope that's true. I, I recently watched How the West Was Won, which kind of feels like the Western version of what this film is. Very uh, loosely connected film with a through line and sort of anthology type of thing. Uh, maybe not the exact same, but I, I there's similarities there. And I really was very negative on How the West Was Won. So fame, I really like Irene Cara's song for this. Uh, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. Like I said before, musicals are kind of uh, always going to do something for me uh, as long as I like the music. And knowing that I like the title song is a pretty good indication. So I would probably go with more of a three, three and a half prediction for this one. But I I I definitely understand the, the tepid prediction that Moran is providing. So that's Fame, number 29, and our last film of the month, number 30. You love watching a screen, but how about a stage? Doesn't it give a certain nerve? 
to... Oh, man, there's some bad grammar here. You love watching a screen, but how about a stage? Doesn't it give a certain nerve to help engage? Watch a film centering around stage performance of some kind, be it a play, concert, circus, or something else. Uh, yeah, so I went with a 2004 film directed by Joel Schumacher, another musical, uh, The Phantom of the Opera. Deformed since birth, the bitter man known only as the Phantom lives in the sewers underneath the Paris Opera House. He falls in love with the obscure chorus singer Christine and privately tutors her while terrorizing the rest of the Opera House and demanding Christine be given lead, in, given lead roles. Things get worse when Christine meets back up with her childhood acquaintance Raoul, and the two fall in love. Starring Gerard Butler, Emmy Rosen, Patrick Wilson, Miranda Richardson, Minnie Driver, Ciaran Hines, Simon Callow, and others. Gerard Butler has absolutely no draw for me in Andrew Lloyd Webber's The Phantom of the Opera. Emmy Rosen is huge draw. I love her music and acting. I think she has a great voice. I'm excited to hear her sing. And I, I love the music from Phantom of the Opera. I, I really don't think Gerard Butler has a good enough voice to pull this off. But, I mean, he made the movie, so it's got to be, I don't know, at least adequate. Uh, I've seen the original Phantom of the Opera, the, like, silent one. And I thought that was actually pretty pretty solid, pretty great for what it was. Um, Phantom of the Opera from 1925. I gave that a 76. I fully expect this film to pale in comparison, but... Uh, that is what it is. Moran gave this a 7 out of 100. He's predicting a 1.5 out of 5, or a 39 out of 100. And he says, two Sh Joel Schumacher movies in one month? Brave. My super low score was from a time when I was much more passionate about the things I disliked. It's probably not that bad. Yeah, I mean, I already know the soundtrack. I listen to the soundtrack for Phantom of the Opera a lot, although it's not from this movie. I do have that soundtrack downloaded, but I was waiting to watch the movie before listening to it. So, I, I kind of agree. I think that the musical aspect is going to give it a little boost. Uh, I don't know if it'll be that much of a boost, up to a 39, but I, I fully understand where that rating is coming from. So, whew, that is all 30 films. Um... Let's see, he had uh, an adage here. Uh, let's see. Uh, he, he also says, Sorry that my guesses are very much on the low end, but I can only work with what you give me. And I think that's kind of fair. I, I, I agree. Um, you know, I... You know, I've I've never made a never made it a point in these scavenger hunts to search out films I'm interested in seeing as far as films that I think I will enjoy. That's not really the goal, uh, at least not for me. I'm sure it is for some people. Um, my primary concern is I have long since watched all the films that I'm excited to see. Uh, you know, that happened over a year ago, and now it's kind of. You know, discovering films that I didn't realize were out there, discovering films that I might like that I didn't even know existed, um, and then as well as checking off movies that uh, will impact my spreadsheet greatly. So looking down this list here, Cries and Whispers is a film I never even heard of, uh, but but it's an Ingmar Bergman film, so there's a chance that it could be great. Uh, the Human Condition 2, based on the first one, I love the first one, so I'm excited to watch more. Uh, Limelight 
and the robe and the last temptation of christ and uh we are marshall and flatliners like these are all films that are just fleshing out the spreadsheet primarily if they end up being good or enjoyable that's awesome i'm all about that but i'm not going into them expecting perfection or greatness you know pokemon jirachi wishmaker of course i don't expect this to be a good movie after sex death sentence uh i'm just you know these are films that are impacting the spreadsheet and that's kind of why they're on the list so you know to that effect you know i think the majority of people that you listen to on podcasts or or critics that you read about or or articles or movie news and things like that most of the time are concerned with the best of the best. Uh, everyone's looking forward to the Oscars. And um, I know there are a couple of podcasts out there that particularly uh, focus on bad movies. And that's cool. I, I think that's great. I, I love a bad movie as much as the next person, or, or more than the next person even. Uh, but I just kind of, I, I've always kind of said, like, I want to watch everything. Nothing is off limits be it documentary, musical, foreign language, silent picture, animated, uh, drama, comedy, whatever it is. I, I want to watch it. I'm interested in watching it. All the more reason to watch it if I haven't seen it. Uh, and um, to that extent, you know, like looking at my director, writers, and actors' pages, they're not going to be complete until I've seen every movie. From Like, like I won't know an, a person's actual rating until I see a full movie or see every movie of theirs. And currently the only person I've accomplished this with is Heath Ledger uh, because he has passed on and had a relatively small filmography. Um, I guess actually I can add, uh, um, what's her name? I can see her face. Oh man, I'm gonna have to look it up. What is her name? This is going to take a while. This is too long. Um, this should not take so long. Come on. Who is it? Who is it? Mm, I did this wrong. Two. I'm sorry. This is terrible. Terrible listening. Anna Kendrick. That's what I was thinking of. Anna Kendrick. I've seen every Anna Kendrick movie that has come out so far up through now, uh, including Table 19, which came out like a couple months ago. Uh, so I guess two people, two people that I've seen all the movies from, Anna Kendrick and Heath Ledger. And, you know, I'm trying to expand my horizons as best as I can. I think that, I truly believe that 99.99999% of films have something to them. Uh, they are remarkable in one way or another um you know there are very very few films that i've given a zero to and even some of those have something to them you know even like examples of what not to do to that extent so yeah i i i don't know maybe you heard about a movie that might be interesting to you or you got inspired to try and find a bad movie to go watch uh, I don't know, but I'm looking forward to this month. Um, you know, I'll be able to knock out quite a few of these movies in the first uh, eight or nine days up until I 
hopefully will get this splint off my hand and return back to working full-time in my original position. Uh, so hopefully I'll be able to get a jump ahead on this month and kind of coast after that. And uh, yeah, so looking forward to this month in and of itself. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate it. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, follow along if you'd like. Uh, all the reviews will be posted on Letterboxd. And then at the end of the month, we'll have the review episode like normal, uh, which will pretty much go the same way as yesterday's episode um, involving Moran's predictions. Uh, probably a little bit more detail in that regard, since this month he went as far as uh, predicting down to the best of, uh, be- down to the rating out of 100 rather than just star rating. So. Uh, If you want to learn anything more about the spreadsheet, about the podcast, about the past episodes, the the scavenger hunt superlatives, the Circle of Film Awards, head over to circleoffilm.com. All that information can be found out over there. If you want to send me any comments, questions, concerns, or answers, you can send those to circleoffilm at gmail.com. I appreciate all of your listenership, and as always, have a week. She'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be to say adieu. In the name of love, one night in the name of love. So long, farewell, oh, what I'll be to say. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.